Hey everybody, welcome back to But Why Other the Podcast, and today we are talking about scariest stories to tell in the dark. As always, I'm your host Kate, and here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And yeah, with the new movie that just came out, Scariest Stories to Tell in the Dark, I figured it was a good time to talk about scary stories. Um, so the first question is, do you have a scary stories memory? So like a scary story that's a memory or like something that we actually do? Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a very long title that I'm not going to keep repeating <laughs> for the duration of this <laughs> podcast. Uh, that's fair. No. You mean you don't want to say Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw over and over again? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but to answer your question, no. I did not see the movie, have not seen the movie, do not plan to see the movie, and I knew these uh, books, which I believe they're books, other stuff, yes. existed, and woohoo, here we are. <laughs> uh, for me, if you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for like any length of time, you know, I'm a big old bitch, <laughs> and I don't like scary movies. I don't even like Kate's Twitter posts with the scary stories things in them. However. I do have scary stories memories because my fourth and fifth grade math teacher, um, who's known me since I was like a kid, used to read scary stories to tell in the dark at the end of class every day for like the last like 10 or 15 minutes. And he would do all the voices and he would do all this stuff. And it was like really, really scary. But it was like one of like the moments I, m I remember most from elementary school was him reading these stories. And the stories were good. Like they were good, compelling stories. However, I'm also not going to go see the movie because both my wife... And Kate, who know how much of a bitch I am, said, don't go watch the movie. And I trust them. <laughs> so I probably won't be going to watch the movie as much as I want to go to relive, like, those memories of, like, hearing the stories in class. Um, so for me, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark has always kind of been a piece of kind of like my horror journey. Um, I think Buffy was the first horror thing I'd watch. And then I got into the anthology shows, like, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark and, like, Goosebumps. But when I would go to school, I was the weird kid who just kept checking out these books and then I would take them to my cousins and we would read them. And then when the books would get called back, my cousins would take would check out the scary stories of Hell in the Dark books and then read them. And for us, they were like a bonding piece. And I think it's because, at least for us and in in our family, like the the scary stories and the folk tales, uh, like Mexican folk tales, were just like concrete and they were there. But we heard them so much that they really didn't they didn't scare us and they kind of desensitized us a little bit. Um, and so we wanted more, and so we we ate these books up and we talked about them. And there is still one story that I cannot listen to. Because it makes me feel real weird and real kind of scared. And uh, we'll talk about that when we get to that section. Um, but yeah, I it, it was a big part of my childhood into like my teens. Um, so as always, we're going to go into a brief history, both of Alan Schwartz, the books, the books writer, um, as well as the books themselves. So Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a series of three collections of short horror stories for children written by Alvin Schwartz and originally illustrated by Stephen Gamel. Um, Stephen Gamel, if you don't know, he is, he kind of defines this era of horror and especially kids lit. 
his work is amazing. Uh, he did all of the artwork on all of the books. Um, there's a controversy that happens with some republishings that we'll talk about later on. Um, in 2011, uh, HarperCollins published editions which featured Bet Hellquest as the illustrator, um, and that feeds into the controversy. Schwartz was born in Brooklyn, New York, and after a short stint in the Navy, Schwartz became interested in writing. He received his bachelor's degree from Colby College and a master's degree in journalism from Northwestern University. He reported for the Binghamton Press from 1951 to 1955, and during his professional writing career, his work had been published in a variety of firms, including Lippincott, Bantam Books, Ferris Strauss, and Harper Collins. Um, now, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is pretty much what people know him for. He did other children's books, but this is the most well-known. A series of books on folklore for children were illustrated by Glenn Rounds and each featured a type of folklore. The first, A Twister of Twists, A Tangler of Tongues, was published in 1972. Others in this series included Tomfoolery, which featured wordplay, Wit Cracks, which was about smart Alec riddles and jokes, and Cross Your Fingers, Spit in Your Hat, which was about superstitions. Um, so he kind of started this trajectory of things people tell. I guess stories people tell. Um, we don't think a lot about it, but folklore extends just from outside scary stories or urban legends, that kind of stuff. Um, but he kind of considered himself a, a loose folklorist. Um... But ultimately, he's best known for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series, which features gruesome, gruesome nightmarish illustrations by Gamble. Um, That's not an exaggeration at all. Uh, looking back on it, I'm very, like, I can understand why a lot of parents were like, no, no, my child won't read this. Um, but my family was okay with it. <laughs> um, the series was America's most frequently challenged book or book series for library inclusion from 1990 to 1999. Subsequent printings have restored the original Gamel art, which was taken out in 2011. And the titles of the books are Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark in 1981, More Scaries to Tell in the Dark, More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, 1984, and Scary Stories 3, More Tales that Chill Your Bones, 1991. And a <laughs> film adaptation, which we'll talk about later, was released uh, last week on August 9th. Was it last week? Week before. I like it. Um, so I wonder what the Tokyo titles were. <laughs> uh, okay, so the three books each featured numerous short stories in the horror genre. Um, and Shorts drew heavily from folklore and or urban legends as the topic of his stories, researching extensively and spending more than a year writing each book. Uh, he acknowledged influences which included Shakespeare, T.S. Eliot, Mark Twain, Joe Chandler Harris, Bennett Cerf, and Jan Harold Brunvard. The first volume was published in 1981, and the books have subsequently been collected in both a box set and in two single volumes. Um, there is also an audio version of the book read by George S. Irving and... The audiobooks are presented in an unabridged format with the exception of a handful of missing stories from the first book. Um, I have actually listened to Scary Stories, uh, the audio version. It's it terrifying. Good? That it's, sounds terrifying. 
it, 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 there's this weird thing where like reading it for yourself, you get kind of scary. But when you hear somebody else telling the story, it kind of just affects you differently. I don't know why. Does um, it have like sound effects and stuff? I know like when I read like the Star Wars books, like they have, or when I listen to the Star Wars books and audiobooks, they have like the, um, you know, like a TIE fighter sound and like how like the hum of a Star Destroyer bridge sounds. Do they add in mm -hmm. sound effects in, oh, hell no. Hell no. I'm scared just um, thinking about it. Yeah, so I will say the one thing that continually creeps me out, uh, there is a story from uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which <laughs> yeah. uh, in it, a head that is shoved up a chimney that falls down says the words, me, Ty, Doty, Walker. Um, nobody knows what that means. Nobody has ever found out what that means. Because um, in that story, uh, Essentially, there was a rich guy who paid somebody money to spend the night in a house, a la House on Haunted Hill. Um, and ultimately, the legend was that a bloody head would fall from the chimney. And so as the person's staying there, he hears me tie Doey Walker. It grows, it grows, it grows. And then the dog that he has with him ends up starting to talk back um, in gibberish as well. It's really freaking creepy. The dog? Yes, the dog. Um, and then the head falls down from the chimney, rolls out, the dog dies of fright, and it ends in a long scream. And you like this? No, I don't. I so do people actually pay people to stay in these haunted houses? I figured as a kid, that'd be something more I experienced as an adult. Maybe I could get rich that way, but I've still so not had anybody you, pay me to go stay Benadryl. in a random abandoned house. <laughs> so what you're Does saying that is actually... that we need to find a rich heir. I get why people do it in the movies and all this stuff we saw growing up. And so... hope that they put us all into a house for a million dollars. But we leave our dogs at home. Yes. For sure, because I'm cool with whatever happened to me. But if my dog starts talking gibberish, that's yeah. like game over. Like we leaving. We're not getting the money. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if Leia, Blossom, Vader, Gandalf, any of those dogs start talking gibberish, something's yeah. definitely wrong. That's even scarier because <laughs> then they'll be even louder. <laughs> not down. Oh. Like that's. That's how you make a scary story. What if they right? talk like, like hey, a chimney and not head coming down a chimney? That's pretty scary. But your dog, your best friend, talking gibberish—it's <laughs> even scarier. I know. I woke up speaking gibberish one time, and Matt threw a blanket over my head and was like, "Nope, I'm done. Not, not I'm doing done. This. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> We're not calling the priest. Away. You're just out of there. You're out of what there. If we just got We're just leaving, burning it down. Now imagine if Leia got up and started speaking gibberish. Oh, that would be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Or just cute face. Um, nope. Not nope. down. I'm scaring myself. I'm done. Um, but that's just an example of one of the stories. One of the other stories, and probably the most notorious because it is the most graphic, is called Harold. Um, it's the scarecrow story in which there is an abused scarecrow. Like he's made and he's in this farm and he is with two completely terrible humans. Um, the farmers made him, and every time they're around him, they abuse him. It's a scarecrow. Whatever. Um, then the scarecrow comes to life, skins the farmers, and lets them uh, chill out in the field as scarecrows. I'm waiting for the scarecrows to come get me that I've seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the age group is 5 to 11.
Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but those are two of yeah. at least the stories that for me were the most yeah, graphic yeah, yeah. and out there. Um, the Her Song, which is the one that I personally cannot read or listen to um, anymore. Uh, that will come later because it has bigger, bigger, bigger impact there. Um, anyway, as of 2017, the books had collectively sold more than 7 million copies and appeared on new, numerous children's bestseller lists. They have also collectively been hailed as a cultural touchstone for a generation with the original charcoal and ink artwork by Gamel often singled out for praise. They have also frequently been the subject of criticism from parents and social groups who can see. I think what the problem was, we're not scaring our children enough. No, I agree. You know why I didn't do stuff? Because I was scared that I don't know it snatched me up. Yeah, makes sense. Why didn't Why did I play Why didn't I play in my grandpa's room where there was a whole bunch of hunting equipment? Because it was the Kukui room. You didn't yeah. go in there. I remember the scary... Of all the stories that he ever read to us, the Scarecrow one's the one that sticks out to me the most because his creepiest voice and, like, stuff was, like, when he was doing the Scarecrow thing. I don't know if he was, like, ad-lib and stuff or what, but that Scarecrow was scary. And whenever we would go to, like, the um, the pumpkin patch to, like, go do, like, the maze and stuff, Scarecrow's... I was like, nah, like, don't go through that because it's going to come alive and then skin us and then we're all just going to die here. And this is like at 11, like the perfect age group for this thing. Like, why was this a thing? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I looked at it up just to make sure it's the third yeah. one that that was. Yeah, wrong. that's the one I remember the most is the Scarecrow. That's why the Scarecrow one, whenever you post it, I'm just like, nope, 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 nope. I'm good. I'm not down. Uh, not down. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even want to think about what that's like in live action. Uh, so. Uh, I'm going to read the last paragraph from that. And in paragraph, I mean three sentences. When Alfred came to rise in the path, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. <laughs> you can't see it because this is an audio podcast, but Adrian is just shaking his head no. <laughs> um, but there was a simplicity to the stories. There was a simplicity to the stories that mapped out what happened, but left enough room for your mind to just take it all the way. And that is what made them terrifying and what made them great and new. And ultimately, uh, and we'll get into all of our But Why Those after this message. Hey everyone, do you like But Why Though? Well, the PodCoin app is a podcast player that pays you to listen to this podcast and every other podcast. Just get the PodCoin app on your iPhone or Android and start listening today. It's free and super easy to use with every minute you listen getting you that sweet, sweet coins. It turns your podcast listening into charity. Or if you're like me, you can get some Amazon or Starbucks gift cards. I use the PodCoin app to do all my podcast listening now and I can personally say that I love it. Seriously, just go to the PodCoin app and use invite code though. that's B-U-T-W-H-Y-T-H-O, and you'll get 300 PodCoin just for signing up if you use our code. That's 300 PodCoin just for signing up using code though. So go ahead and give PodCoin a try today. 
ultimately, one of the reasons why this, one of the but why those for for why scary stories to tell in the dark matters, is really from what I said before, which is that this is a cultural touchstone for a generation. This is many people's gateway into horror, um, and this developed kind of childhood memories in the same way that a lot of other fandom stuff did, but they kind of had, how do you explain this? There was like a magic around them because you knew that it would scare people and you would always try to find somebody who didn't know and you'd share a new story. And then you also had it where you knew that like, some parents didn't want their kids reading them. You know, some some other kids in your class weren't allowed to read them. It, it created kind of like this world that once you got that book in front of you, you had access to something. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it's solidified in the culture so much. Um, and, and I do think that if you ask any horror fan what they think about scary stories to tell in the dark, I'm certain they will tell you that it is some of their first memories of horror and when i say any i mean between the ages of 25 and like 40 probably that's probably the best demographic um but yeah it, it was a gateway it the same way that when you sat down and you watched sailor moon or dragon ball z and tsunami and wanted more stuff after you watched it um i wanted more scary stories um because there's there's also like a difference between like watching horror like Buffy or like watching stuff like the like I connected my love for Are You Afraid of the Dark with this a lot because they're little one-off stories and it kind of builds what ifs especially when you're a kid and you're like well all stories come from some truth somewhere people don't just tell stories and like in little kid mind you're like oh yeah that's a creepy scarecrow. Of course it's going to skin me. Um, yeah, I think I'm on the opposite side of this where, like, Chucky as a kid scared me. Mainly because, like, you're a kid, right? And you play with action figures. And, like, you don't want that action figure coming to life and killing you. Like, my Power Rangers and my G.I. Joes came to life and murdered me in the middle of the night. That's scary as, like, a very, very young kid. You mean, like, small yeah, soldiers? Yeah, like small, but I like small soldiers. I was like, hey... My brother was. I say that because my brother was terrified of. Small I can see that because they were like, like murderous, crazy people, right? But I was like, no. Well, what if he's my friend? Yeah. Just like Indian in the cupboard. Like, what if they're just my friends? But like Chucky, like that dude's just gonna murder you. He's like, he's not your friend. Uh, it's the same way. Like it scared me <laughs> as a kid too. Like I can't go near storm drains. I go near those every day. What if a uh, clown yeah. kills me? But you're like, I'm thinking back and unrepressing the stories that I heard in fourth and fifth grade. I'm like, you're right. Like this puts stuff, this might be why I can't watch scary movies because I replay the stuff in my head, create my own narrative around what's happening. And then I can't go to sleep. So scary stories had the opposite effect on me where I was like, well, I'm just going to dream about this scarecrow getting me alive and my family alive. Even though that's not what happened. Like verbatim, that's probably what's going to happen in my dreams. Like, did, did your parents use, like, scary stories and stuff to, like, reprimand you? Or did they just tell you them for fun? Because, like, as much as my parents, like, or as much as my, like, grandma and my uncles, like, told us stuff to make us behave, they also just told us this stuff, like, just because they thought it was cool. Like, the ghost tracks in San Antonio, where if you put baby powder on your car, you'll see hands and it'll put Yeah, you. so, like, the big thing, like, um, my mom, 
is like my mom's a big believer in ghosts and blah 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 blah. Like our house in El Paso, like the one that you all went to when we got married, um, was like it's like in a haunted house book in El Paso and blah 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 blah. That stuff doesn't scare me. Like I'm fine. Like I never saw anything in that house that scared me. No matter how many times they're like, well, there's ghosts in this house. I think it's like the unknown stuff, right? Like this thing I see in the field, probably nothing when I'm there. But at night, I'm like, what if that was something? Or it's the monsters from Jeepers yeah. Creepers. Yeah, and like Jeepers Creepers, Jeepers Creepers only scared me too. Because I was like, what if this car behind me, and then I start dreaming about like the car following us on the road is actually some dude actually trying to kill us, and then I dream about it, and then I'm scared in my dreams. But in reality, I'm like, there's no way this dude would like follow no. me and like skin me alive and use my eyeballs like he did with Shia LaBeouf. That would never happen. But in my dream... That wasn't Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Justin Long. That was a Shia LaBeouf. That was Justin Long. They got his eyes cut out. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember. With the rose tattoo, and you see it at the very end of the movie where the camera's going up, you see the rose tattoo, then it goes into his face, and you see Jupiter Cooper's eyes pop up. Yeah, that was Justin Long. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, Shia like, LaBeouf what? was still in Eden yeah, Stevens yeah, yeah, yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so my aunt. So, as far as the story thing, my aunt attempted to do that all the time, but my mom never did, cause, probably because we just always laughed at my aunt when she talked about this stuff, like, you just crazy. Um, but she attempted to do, like, the boogeyman stuff and some other stories to, like, scare the, you know, her children and everything of, like, you know, we gotta behave or they'll come get you, and we we're like, that's yeah. not real. Like, why, why, don't, why don't you come <laughs> you get me? You just sound crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Um, I will say, as far as the dream thing, I find it interesting, because I do remember as a kid, a lot of stuff of what I did, like, when I did have a nightmare, depending on stuff, was I learned over time to attempt to, like, instead of the person attacking me, what if I per the person trying to murder me, I say, hey, I will help you murder people. And so if you could convince yourself to be, like, on the actual creepy side with the monster, <laughs> technically what? it wasn't a nightmare anymore because you weren't being attacked. And then you can again what you're doing. audio like, podcast. Me and Kate are looking at each other like, "What the hell is going on right now?" Well, because most of the time, at least in my dreams or whatever, you, the, usually you were the only one being chased. It wasn't a bunch of people. So once you can convince the person that is chasing you that you are on the same side, <laughs> don't kill me, Scarecrow. I'll help you chase. skin the people. <laughs> yeah. It sounds messed up, but it was great when I was a kid. It worked great. That explains so much. You worked so great as a kid. So I do have a question, though, like in, in the vein of scary stories, because I think that like I, th I think us having these conversations is, is really the heart of what scary stories of Tom the Dark is. It's like it's because there were um, people would read these books, right? They'd read one, two and three, never had them all at the same time most of the time because one was checked out or your your library only had one. And people would like say, oh, yeah, in this book, in the third one, it has this really thing. And they would make their own like super messed up scary story that they would tell you and you'd live your whole life thinking that that was in there because um, you're kids. Um, and so I think like sharing these type of stories is really interesting. And so for me, actually, I have a question because I know you get sleep paralysis. I don't think saying that you're going to help the person murder you helps you when you have sleep paralysis going. Because I, I know that like, at least for what I've heard of sleep paralysis, you see stuff and it gets real scared. And I have like 
I've seen you with like the yelling in your sleep because you can't move. So like, is do you have any story around that? Or like, because obviously the Matt, I'm gonna help you skin people. Yeah. Did, 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 did the scarecrow yeah, say uh, no? <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not gonna help. Yeah, th- th- there's an yeah, there's a no on that one. Um, like the weird thing is, like I see things for the most part, but I don't see like because because you always talk about like creatures and stuff. Most time, what I see is my surroundings, but it's all blurred out. So, like, if you were sitting at your computer desk, which I remember one very vividly when I just screamed on the couch, like, I see you sitting there, but I don't actually see any of your face, like, description or anything. I just see, like, the outline of you for the most part, and it's usually just black, but I know it's you. Um, a lot of times I feel my body will just start locking up, and first it's not locking up. The main thing I've tried to do is basically stop, one, just stop what I'm doing and either let my body take over or don't, and then just, like, slowly try to wake myself up without fighting because I've learned for over the years that, like, the more you fight, the more you just get to the point where you can't breathe. And so if you just kind of learn, not, probably why I don't panic in a lot of situations, because I've learned more, the more I panic, because the more I can't breathe, the more sleep, I get stuck. you literally feel like your body's trying to kill you, so nothing matches yes. that? <laughs> yes. Uh, so if you can stop and then at least try to, in my mind, obviously I still can't move, but at least I can know that, like, I know where I'm at. I know what I'm doing. This is, I am just stuck here. Eventually, if I can get my body to tense up and my brain to let me go, I can eventually wake up. Now I know I'm mad. Kate see me scream, but I don't. Kate see me attempt to scream because I had the worst that part is, is when you're attempting to scream, you nothing comes out. Because like it, it's like this weird, like high pitched, like it's scary because I can hear that he's trying to scream and it'll just like. It, it's scary. Like, I feel like I get just as his partner in life, I'm very worried that I'm not doing my job as, at keeping him alive because of how he sounds when yeah, that Spawn is happening. has it on, like, very, very rare occasions. And it's not fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fun. But yeah. I just shoot Main up thing is... from my sleep and talk in tongues. Yeah, apparently. my sister did that one time, and yeah, but no. I wanted to punch her in the face. <laughs> I was like, go, go back to sleep, you <laughs> demon. <laughs> Get out of here. I will say, after Stefani watched that movie, it, like in the middle of the night, because we usually like, you know, I mean, you guys, I'm, I'm sure you guys do it too, like where you like watch something to go to sleep, right? And set a sleep timer, turns off, then we go to sleep. But last night we watched Family Guy, or Family Guy was on all night because she didn't want it to be dark in the room. That's how much that movie messed her up, and I'm glad I didn't go see it. Um, I made the mistake of we were talking about scary stories to tell in the dark in the horror channel in the Discord, um, which everybody who's listening should go join our Discord. It's great. Um, and I shared the Hearst song, and it was the worst decision because then I thought about it all night, and I kept waking up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not sad that I muted that channel. Yep. Um. <laughs> But all this goes into um, the fact that there is a doc called Scary Stories um, directed by Cody Merrick. I have a review of it up on uh, com that you can read. Um, and it is essentially a documentary about the creation history and the legacy of this series. Um, the film uses 40 interviews with the author's family members, other children's horror writers like R.L. Stein, folklorists, scholars, and fans of the books 
to create a historical narrative and prove its lasting impact on the lives of those who have read it. So I do think that if it, you know, our podcast is your jam, I think that you should definitely go watch that documentary. It's really good. Um, some of the interviewees included Schwartz's son, um, like I said, R.L. Stein and Dr. Gary Allen Fine, who is a folklorist for Northwestern University, as well as a sociologist whose theories are featured in Scary Stories 3. Um, so I kind of mentioned it in passing, but Schwartz kind of, uh, it was a folklorist to a point. He didn't have formal training, but he was so enamored with, with folklore and legend that he aimed to bring it to a larger audience by including it in Scary Stories. So a lot of the stories in the Scary Stories uh, kind of trilogy of books actually have groundings in stories that have been told through different cultures, different areas. Uh, there's a Wendigo story, um, which is Native American, which has roots in a Native American religion and tradition. Um, and ultimately what he does is he brings this horror and folklore to children, to children's literature and ultimately, no matter how much parents try to say this is just garbage, it's violence, it's desensitizing our kids because of these images, librarians pushed back and explained that the books were a powerful tool that answered questions that all children have about death and dying. And I know that that sounds really morbid because it's something that a lot of people try to keep their kids friendly. I remember when I posted something on Reddit about Coco, somebody was like, I refuse to let my child watch this because it's about death. And I'm like, every Pixar movie ever is about death, first off. Um, but secondly, like it, for me, because like I like my, just because of the culture I grew up in, the family I was in, like I've always known about death. We like Mexicans are weird. Like we celebrate it to a point. Um, it, it, there's just a different connection to it. And I think that's what made Guillermo del Toro like a perfect executive producer for the film because it lives in that piece. Um, and children's horror and all ages horror as a category of kids lit is really important to teaching children how to confront these types of fears um, and how to kind of get answers or it turns Adrian completely. Yeah, sad. I have a question. So <laughs> when I was a kid, I was able to like read like R.L. Stein Goosebumps and I would like watch like the TV show or whatever. And it was fine. None of it was that scary. But scary stories is just like different. Like what do you think like the differences between like scary stories and like goosebumps in the terms of like it's being just morbidly like life changing? I think it's because it's so short. Like, Goosebumps books, I had so many Goosebumps books. We used to go to Goodwill just to get Goosebumps books and Fear Street books. But, like, it's a full novel. Um, there's more into it. He tells you more. He shows you more. When you watch the the series, he shows you more. I was, oh, I had VHSs on those, especially the mask mm, one. I remember that um, And they're all <laughs> doing the same thing. Like, horror exists to examine our fears and either tell us not to be afraid of it or tell us how to overcome it. Um, and tell us why it's scary or why a certain group of people think it's scary. Um, and in children's literature, horror fulfills the same thing. And in the same way that folklore and fables have been used to teach lessons, um, R.L. Stein and, and, and Schwartz both worked to do that in different ways. But I think the reason the scary factor is knocked up 
on Scary Stories of Hell in the Dark is because of the imagery. Because Arvel Stein's imagery is really cartoony, um, like the covers yes. of the books. Um, this stuff was made to scare you. It's really scary imagery. But on top of that, like I said before, like they're just so short. Like some of the stories are just half a page. Which means your brain is doing a lot of work to fill in the rest of it. And I can tell you it's one of the reasons I really love old horror, like like 1930s horror, like Universal Monsters, uh, The Cat and the Canary, like that kind of stuff. Because when things would happen, they didn't show you it happening. Like a, a kill or a psycho is actually a really good example. So you have uh, when she gets killed in the shower, all you see is the blood rushing to the drain. You don't actually see her being stabbed. And it makes your brain fill in the gap of what is happening in that moment. You have the clues to what is happening, but you're not shown. And because you, you're in this mind frame, you're, this, this mindset to be scared, your brain messes with you and makes it worse. That makes sense. That's got to be like the one, um, one of like the best factors and worst factors of our brain. Filling in gaps is just bad. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. I cheat a lot of things by filling in gaps because if you can get the end in the beginning, you can just figure your way it's out through and you know what you're going to get. I don't watch horror movies with Matt. <laughs> I did it one um, time when we started dating and he just talked about how all of it was absurd the entire time. It was the silent ones and they were using science in the movie and Matt was just like, nope, nope, nope. Matt also sides with a killer in his nightmares, so like, I'm not surprised. He's 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 in that mind frame. Hey man. <laughs> um obviously I've actually read a lot of the goosebumps. I do think the imagery is probably probably one of the biggest things for me. Obviously I don't I remember cuz I've seen some of the imagery. I obviously haven't read the book, but I've seen some of the photos and just like even descriptions of what we talk about in some of the stories you're talking about right now. Like I don't recall anything as like I guess morbid as I guess have been our word for the episode of like seeing that in Goosebumps I know some of them are definitely messed up but they're definitely not quite messed up until Goosebumps the only messed up thing about Goosebumps is when they decide to go to re go to page one go to page two or go to page eight or go to page 27 go to page 154 back to 45 and I was like I'm done with this you didn't like to choose your own adventure Goosebumps I hated those damn books (laughs) somehow I'm not surprised just give me my story, Dan. I, read, I, I will say, I've read, like, almost all the Goosebumps up to that point, and then I quit reading them. And I think, too, I, I do think, and R.L. Stein, like, and there should probably be a Goosebumps episode at some point, but, like, R.L. Stein also came under the same heat that Schwartz did, but in a different way, because his books, like, they were clearly for an older audience, whereas Schwartz's were, were specifically for, like, that 5 to 11 range. Um, but it did... It, it did continue to be like housed in like middle schools into those teen years because one of the defenses that people gave was that this it was for an older audience and tried to move it into the R.L. Stein bracket. Um, but I'm trying to think about the only the only Goosebumps story that really scared me was the dummy. Yeah, I hate that dummy. Yeah, that was the only one that scared me. Because I don't, I know, so if you follow me on Twitter, you know that when I went on teaching with Matt's mom and him, I posted a lot of scary dolls. It's exposure therapy. If I ever see one at night, I'm going to cry. Nope. 
I'm they're terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um remember Chucky? Yeah, right down. <laughs> Not down <laughs> I'll punch that thing in the face. Um, but ultimately, as much as these as much as scary stories offered a way for children and teens to be scared, it also offered a way for them to confront questions of mortality. Um, as one of the interviewees in the in the doc explained, um, we didn't want to have these conversations with children. Like our parents didn't want to have these conversations with us, but it didn't mean that kids weren't thinking about that. And I do think that that's something I'm really thankful for growing up is like when there was death in my life, I didn't have, like, I didn't wonder, like I knew it was happening. And I had friends who also had, you know, grandparents die or uncles or, you know, people around them. And they didn't know how to cope because nobody trusted them to be able to do that. And I, I think that, horror especially for kids who are sheltered like that like and i do acknowledge that sometimes you can just get a completely different view but it it works to answer the questions when people don't think you deserve to be in the room um i know that i talk about not liking kids a lot on on this podcast and not wanting kids in my movies but i do think that all ages horror and children's horrors is really important um, and fairy tales started out as horror stories. So. We just don't talk about those parts. No, we don't. <laughs> um, but all of this ties back to the Hearst song, which I have mentioned multiple times. Oh, God. Um, it is featured in the, I'm actually, the oh, my only critique of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a movie is that they only featured the melody this and they don't really put the lyrics like front and center um so i'm gonna just read the first part adrian feel free to take off your stuff if you want to know um the reason this just don't do it in like a scary voice just just read it i won't i won't and and there are actually bands who have this as a song song it's really good uh harley poe is one of the bands that does the best rendition i'll include in the show notes but um, it's, um, don't ever laugh as a hearse go- goes by, for you may be the next to die. They wrap you up in a big white sheet, from your head down to your feet. They put you in a big black box and cover you up with dirt and rocks. And all goes well for about a week, and then the coffin begins to leak. The worms crawl in, and the worms crawl out. The worms play pinochle on your snout. They eat your eyes. They eat your nose. They eat the jelly between your toes. A big green worm with rolling eyes curls in your stomach and out your eyes uh and i'm not going to finish the rest of it because it goes into talking about pus and and stuff like that um but it it seems weird and there's a reason i can't listen to this because this is a piece of death that we don't like talking about like even even with like my family celebrating day of the dead like we don't talk about that we talk about the person as they were alive we remember them and that kind of stuff um but what this does is it answers the question of what happened. Um, like, I get that, like, parents probably have, you know, ideas of the afterlife, whatever you want to share your kids. But I do think that there is an importance to understanding what happens because you have those questions. Um, 
but I don't like this because my brain starts thinking about dying and then it gets all weird. So I don't listen to this or read it <laughs> a lot at all. <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's really descriptive and it tells what's happening and it kind of puts it front and center. Um, but that is most definitely a conversation that parents don't ever want to have. So, uh, thoughts? Have you ever touched the dead bodies when they feel like jelly? Pretty cool. Am I the what? most normal person on this podcast? I think so. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Well, that was uh, a... I mean... Were you talking about... Were, did you go to the body farm? Is that what it's from? Well, I mean, obviously I've messed with cadavers and cut up animals before and brains and Mess other with types sounds of stuff. real weird. Because... Yeah. Remember, Matt is a scientist. I was like, so that's what you do here. in science? Anybody that ever wants to be a doctor, you basically cut up dead people and cadavers. Matt's just not like, I want to go touch dead uh, bodies. <laughs> like, no, Matt was a... Matt. What do you think, like, medical people train on? You can donate your body to be a cadaver, like, at a university. And you'd be like, hey, look, they dissect me in class bio 101. Back to children's <laughs> literature? <laughs> Again, this spawns off of children's uh, literature, which is just insane to me. Well, no, but, like, I, I, I do think that, like, there is a point where it's, like, I don't know if any of y'all had friends who had experienced that type of, I mean, Adrian, you said you were 10, but, like, like, like they, those are questions, like, what happened? And, and if you don't yeah, have my... a parent who's, like, open with you about that, like... Yeah, I mean, I had a best friend. I, he was hanging out with me. Got a phone call. His parents were dead in a car accident. He was gone by next week. Random new place. Never saw him ever again. I mean, it just it happened. And, I don't uh, think that's what I was talking about. What is going oh, on? Well, you're talking about people dying and do, like you're not experienced or ready for this stuff or experienced death. Like, well, like his parents are dead. There's no one to tell him about anything at all because his parents are dead. Oh. <laughs> it's got so dark. It weird as it, it was weird as a kid hanging out and then all of a sudden like start crying like I gotta go and then get a phone call going this happened and then literally within a week was gone and shipped off to like his like other part of his family somebody hung out with like four times a week that was weird I'm sorry that happened to you Matt That's... I mean suck for him the worst but I do like that Matt has a relative scale there. He was not the loser in that situation. I was definitely not the loser in that situation. Um, but it was weird as a kid to how that happened and just how life changed like so yeah. rapidly fast. Yeah. Because um, like I said, this wasn't like somebody I just met. It was somebody I literally legitimately hung out with and saw at least yeah. probably almost every day between school and after school, probably at least three, four times a week. So it was like... Jason, do with this what you will. <laughs> I trust you. What? The context. The context helps My bad. so much. The, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I kind of mentioned culture. about how. Yeah, kid culture. Um. So, how I kind of like mentioned about how people would start kind of like these these little urban legends of what would what was in a book that you hadn't read yet from scary stories and that kind of stuff. Um. It was like the sense of a, a rebellion that kind of like lend, lent authenticity to stuff and at least how Schwartz saw it. 
So when Schwartz had heard about people wanting to ban his books, he was actually really excited about it. Uh, because essentially the way he saw it was kids scare themselves and each other as a test of nerves. Um, but they also poke at the, like, hypocrisies of the adult world. Like, like everybody's always said, like, kids don't say the darndest things, they say the most true things, and they will call you out. And when you throw something like this and you tell a kid they can't have it, it makes them want it more, and it makes people want to read it more, and it, it ingrains it into the culture around them. Um, and ultimately, the way, like, scary stories contain the violence, the death, decay, and, and all these, like, all this aggression that adults don't want kids to see whenever it enters the room. They push kids out of the room, they, they hide it, they, you know, and there is something to be said about being able to take control of that and face your fear and even if it gives you nightmares like just go at it and that is one of the reasons why librarians fought so hard um and, and the cool thing is is when you look at the documentaries um they interviewed like i think like four or five librarians who had each launched different campaigns to just keep the book and spoke at pta meetings and spoke out against people wanting to ban it because they saw the the kind of the, the tool that it played in kids lives essentially adrian i just feel attacked why you said that he plays a crucial part in kids lives even it gives them nightmares you trying to say all right all right i walk i, have had I walk around this life not scared of nothing you know, like Riddick's, Riddick. Home invasion horror? That's different because that can actually happen. And given my past experiences <laughs> in like the last like two weeks, could happen. But like, I'm not scared of no scarecrows <laughs> no more. Just in my dreams. But I could just say, I'm just giving you a hard time. I was going to make a Freddy Krueger joke, but. I actually like, when I first watched Freddy Krueger, I watched it like with a bunch of friends. And we just made fun of it the whole time. Like, I remember like distinctly like we, us making fun of like when she like. Uh, I don't I don't know which one it was because my dad had all of like the the movies, but he like got the chick in the hospital and like was like puppeteering her with like her veins like out of her arms or something like that. Like this yeah. is the dumbest thing ever. If I watched it by myself, probably having nightmares. But because I watched it with friends, I just made fun of it the whole time and I was fine. So are you gonna come to the the horror nights I'm gonna be doing? In our Discord uh, no, probably not. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not. Um, if I. I I could go over to your house and make fun of them with you, but I don't know if it, I don't know if it has the same effect doing it on Discord as it does in real life. <laughs> um, so, like I said, as we move into controversies, uh, the series is listed by the American Library Association as being the most challenged series of books from the 1990s and the seventh most challenged for the 2000s. It again made the list in 2012. Uh, complaints have typically centered on its violence, disturbing subject matter, and potential unusability, unsuitability for young readers, as well as religious concerns, of course, because religious people always say you should not read anything but the Bible. Um, critics have called the stories, many of which feature macabre topics such as murder, murder disfigurement, and cannibalism. There's this cool one, it's, it's called, I think it's like the fat sausage or something, where this butcher ends up killing somebody 
turning them into a sausage, and then the sausage, like, sells really well. And so he just starts murdering people in the town and making them into sausage. And then the town, the remaining townspeople realize what he's doing, and then they kill him and then make him into a sausage. So they've done that in a lot of Yes, yeah, it, it, it has yes. origins in the yeah. time. Yeah. The well, I was thinking even outside of that. Uh, but yeah, but but this has this goes back. There's also the hook hand, or the hook, essentially, which is the story of two lovers at Lookout Point making out, and they hear hook on the thing. Like they're urban legends or folk tales, and he pulls a lot of them, and also a lot of the ones that come out of the scary story series end up being brought into other mediums and movies and stuff like that. Right. Which is like I said, I've never read the books, but as far as like the stories and stuff, like I've seen it different media, yeah. I've seen some of the stories, heard them. But can you know. I just? Yeah. Um, I just was curious, right? Like whenever we pull up these like these lists of things, I like to go see like what it is. And I found like the top ten list from 2012 that you mentioned. Do you want to know what the number one book on that challenge list is? Just guess. In 2012, just guess. I you'll Harry never Potter? you'll never guess. Probably Hunger Games. Years. No. Hunger Games. Not even on the list. No. I can't think. Captain of Underpants. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Does it say why? I didn't know I've had heard that that's been banned before, Captain but I didn't Underpants, think it'd be number one. Number four, Fifty Shades of Grey. Why that's a kid's book, I don't know. And then number eight is Scary Stories on that thing. And then, you know, and like you said, it was featured in other years, but I just thought it was super crazy that Captain Underpants was the number one on that thing. And even crazier, 2018's list has, I don't know what George is, but Captain Underpants is still number three on that list. Hey. Wow, what's number uh, one? George by Alex Gino. I don't know what that is, but the hate you George George the hate you give is number four. For Thirteen Not reasons surprised. why is number six. That one has good yeah. reasons why. <laughs> yeah, but just just for reference, like it's it's just crazy like that that one the scary stories was still on that list after like all this time, but like, what are people upset about? When it comes to some of these books, well, I can tell you why I upset well, about that one, of course. But like, Captain Underpants versus like Scary <laughs> Stories. Like, I I only looked because I was surprised yeah. that Scary Stories wasn't higher on the list. Um, yeah, you know, seventh most challenge in, in the two thousands seems like it probably should be challenged more. Maybe like g- g- given Honestly, the content, like one of the reasons why it, it it comes back to religious groups that are running school boards. Um, so a lot of, I mean, and you, you probably know this, Adrian, because, you know, in the education system, like the Texas education system and what gets dictated is what gets taught in class is not actually chosen by teachers. That makes sense. And then, uh, it's chosen by, uh, people who let's do it. Um, which is why we have fake history in our books sometimes. Um, but we, especially depending on where it's coming from, a lot of it has to do with religious movements that advocate for it being gone. And a lot of the time they'll ban it because it's easier to ban yeah. it. Yeah, no, you're like a thousand percent right. right. Cause like that list that we're talking about, if you go back to like 2001, because 2000 isn't on the list for whatever reason, like it's like, I guess archived or something, but Harry Potter is number one on the 2001 list. And Which the guy? reasons are anti-family, cult, Satanism, religious viewpoint, violence is, is the reasons yeah. why it's number one on the list. Yeah, that is, you will find that that is the reason for almost every book banning. Yeah, real crazy. Yeah, and then on the 2006 one for Scary Stories, insensitivity, 
Satanism, unsuited age group, and violence is, is why it's on the list for them. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy stuff, um, man. Insane. Yeah, and, and I know a lot of the times, too, is uh, so a lot of the parents wouldn't actually read the stories. They would just see Gamal's art and be like, nope, can't have that. Um, among the groups who have attempted to have the book removed from school libraries and local parent groups were concerned women for America. Um, but the defenders have always been the American Library Association, as well as the Bulletin of the Center for Children's Books. Um, but li librarians are awesome. For sure. Um, at the end of the day. Um, defenders of the book claim that they are aimed at middle school kids who are perfectly able to cope with the kind of thing that it shows, um, and that the stories help children deal with reality by putting faces of what, of what they're afraid of. So there are like two dueling arguments because the main age group is 5 to 11. Um, and a lot of the times you can tell that it's people just trying to keep it in their school. So they go with the argument that they can get most traction on. Which is understandable. Um, so to celebrate the book's 30th anniversary in 2011, HarperCollins thought it would be a great idea to re-release all the books with new illustrations by Brett Helquist. I feel very sorry for Mr. Helquist. Uh, because nobody liked it. Um, the illustrations were kid-friendly, not disturbing, and it ultimately led to a whole bunch of anger from fans of the original. And in 2017, the books were reissued with the original artwork, leaving the 2011 versions out of print. You can't find Hellquist's work anymore. Mm -hmm. That's sad. Poor guy. Yeah, I feel real bad for him. Yeah. Bad decision by yeah, HarperCollins. But I think they probably did it to get more book orders. Yeah. Cool. Like how many of these conversations do we have about like books and stuff and just like people just not like people just getting screwed over in so many of these situations by just not having like one thing correct. Like our one thing happen yeah. right. Like just one person screw someone over and then it becomes huge and then they're just screwed. It happens way too much in the things that we talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I will include a link and some of these images into the show notes, but they look more like the Harry Potter illustrations and less terrifying. Um, but, you know, with story titles like Dead Man's Brains and uh, Aaron Kelly's Bones, um, or the Ghost of the Bloody Fingers, <laughs> you're going to attempt to make them at least a little kid-friendly. Um, all this is to say, we recently had the movie come out, um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark came out this year in August 9th and is directed by Andre Overdahl, um, based on the book of the same name. And the screenplay was adapted by Dan and Kevin Hagman, um, from a screen story that was written by Guillermo del Toro, as well as Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. The film, uh, is an international co-production of the United States and Canada, which is actually really cool. A lot of the great like children's horror content actually comes out of Canada. There is one called... Have you ever been to Canada? Then people just like, they're up in the snow with cabin fever. <laughs> but they're so nice. That's all they, they got is... Horror stories. It's so great. That's all they got is their imagination. Have you been locked in a cabin for like a week with snow all around you? Um, there is a anthology series on Netflix called Creeped Out, which is a Canadian production. If you're a fan of Are You Afraid in the Dark, watch that. A lot of it is genuinely scary. Um, 
The film stars Zoe Coletti, Michael Garza, Gabriel Rush, Austin Abrams, Dean Norris, Gil Bellows, and Lorraine Toussaint. Um, in 2013, CBS Films acquired the rights to the book series with the intent of producing it as a feature film. I remember when this news came out and I was not excited when it was announced in 2016. Um, even though I love Guillermo del Toro because I was like, how are you going to adapt this? Um, Overdahl was later set to direct the project with Del Toro, Daniel Brown, and Grave being among the producers, and principal photography commenced in 2018. Scary Stories, after its release, it was released by Lionsgate, and the film has received extremely positive reviews, and it's already gone past what they expected it to make. It's right behind Hobbs and Shaw. Um, That's huge. That's big money. Yeah. So it's it's done really well. It, well, it's not that big in perspective, but it's big compared to what they thought they were gonna get. Well, that's big horror <laughs> money, right? So yeah, yeah. that's big horror, horror money. Rarely makes any money. Uh, hold on, let me pull it up. Yeah, that's nuts. I know that. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this, Kate, because you saw it. But Stefani went to go watch it with Kate, and she's like, I was just so she was so amazed by like the cinematography and like the way that they did the scares. That just wasn't like traditional stuff like they'd like just drew stuff out making you think things that were going to happen that didn't really happen etc cetera, etc cetera. so it seems like it was like a really yep. well done movie overall one of the other amazing things is 90 percent of everything is practical awesome. effects um which is phenomenal when you see that movie um one of the ways that they adapted it was by blending some stories together which i thought i wasn't gonna like but i really really liked um, and, and without giving away any spoilers, the only one that I can say that doesn't give any, any spoilers is they take, um, hold on. Uh, so the Jangly Man, which is a new creation for the film adaptation, is a blend of Aaron Kelly's bones in which you have a completely detached, uh, body. <laughs> the arms, the legs, everything is detached from each other. Um, and then it is also a, uh, ha it also brings What Do You Come Here For? And uh, Nitai Dodi Walker. It blends them all to pull it off and it does it really well by respecting the source material but adapting it for the screen. Uh, which I can say for every single story that they adapt. And if you have looked at the posters or watch the trailers it's harold the red spot the haunted house and uh these as well as the pale lady which if you follow me on twitter i've just been posting her she is now my uh default picture yeah thanks um, for that thanks i hate it <laughs> uh but at the end of the day like this is probably my favorite adaptation that i've ever seen uh i didn't think it could be done i didn't know how it was going to be done um, but it is hands down my favorite horror movie of 2019. I mean, just over us and over Midsummer. I mean, just looking at the money, right? Like it's already, you know, it's a yeah, 30 like, million. If you're looking at the money, a lot of these movies kind of hover around like 50 to like 70,000, and it's already almost made that after one week and a half, just domestic. Right. So I yeah. think it has like, I mean, it's uh, not going to be an it. Right. I don't think it'll be that big or even mm -hmm. like a six tenths big, but it's going to be I think it's going to bring in some money once people start talking about it more and more. 
Yeah, and it was only expected to gross twenty eight million, and then it ended up grossing thirty million, and a lot was a lot of that was because there was this fear of alienating older audiences, kind of like to what we've talked about in the past, of like the people who love these stories wants wants want hard R horror. They don't want PG thirteen horror because PG thirteen horror gets a really bad rap for a lot of good reasons, um, but what they did was they took people like me who are older but they also maintained their their goal like the goal that del toro and overdall talked about was that they wanted this to be the moment that people fell in love with the genre um and it starts out on halloween i for me i see this becoming like the halloween movie to start to watch um yeah i'm i'm kind of surprised one that this movie's pg-13 and two they didn't wait for like a halloween release yeah um i was actually there's some moments in there where i'm like oh wow y'all are really pushing (laughs) pg-13 here like (laughs) real hard the hard (laughs) pg-13 i gagged in the movie i heard about that that makes me not comfortable Yeah, I mean, to put it in perspective, and this is where I'll end it, um, if you're thinking about watching it and you're worried about it because it's an adaptation, I review, I'm reviewing the current horror television shows that are on TV right now. I review Shudder films. I review at least one horror film a month. Um, This is the most scared that I have been in a theater in a long time. Like, a really long time. Um, I felt my I, I felt my heart racing and it made me uncomfortable and it made me scared and I haven't had that feeling in a horror movie in a long time like just not knowing what was going to happen and to do it with like one of my first horror memories is amazing so go watch it free plugs Uh, but yeah, so go. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. I don't think I'm ever going to see this movie. Um, I don't know if I will ever read these to my kids, but I hope someone does because I know what kind of effect it had on me as a kid. And it's either going to make them like me or make me like make them like Kate. And either one of those is fine. Just not yeah, Matt. just not Matt. Matt, Matt's that's the one that kind of scares me a little bit. What? Like that, that makes me slightly worried. If they become Matt, <laughs> I feel bad for your sleep paralysis thing. I feel for you, buddy. But yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take me me, me or Kate. <laughs> I don't want the Matt version. <laughs> that scares me. Thanks. Well, apparently that's all we learned from this episode. <laughs> like, that nobody like, wants to be mean. This doesn't go with the episode. Um, <laughs> just like think, like someone breaks into your house and Matt, and they're like, "Yo, I either kill y'all or you join me, Matt, and we go killing together." There's like, there's gonna be a slight moment where he's like, "Numbers, uh, logic, logic, logic. Maybe I should fucking join." Him. And that's scary as fuck to me. <laughs> like the dogs be like. We're, let's go kill everybody. You're going to be like, all right, all right, Leia, let's fucking go do it. <laughs> let's go murder everybody. To reference our last episode, it's ride or die. Me ride or die with Leia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about it. Um, 
one, I like Adrian. I probably will never go see this movie. Um, I have a weird taste in horror. Um, I do watch apparently some that counts as horror, some I don't believe is horror, some I do like, some I don't like. Um, I don't know. Kate can probably attest to that. I don't know why, but it's it's real weird, weird, and it's super hit or miss. Like I don't even know how to because I I've like I got you to watch the Belko experiment because I was like, oh, this is like this like psychological and violence, and you're like, this was dumb. <laughs> You could have saved so many more people. The funnest part about that movie... Well, maybe not the funnest part. We can't, gotta cut the fun part out. Okay, the most interesting part about that movie was if you do the statistical analysis of, like, how many people could you do, depending on all the challenges, where you could save the most, per, per se, amount of people by the technical rules that they gave you. Yeah. Because what if you just killed half the people right off the bat? Because then that means you basically knock it off all well, but then if you did everything else... But then if you, like attempted it, it was weird but no uh all right for context adrian the belko experiment experiment is a movie where an entire workplace gets shut down and uh, as a psychological test and they say you can either kill half of the entire population of your work right now or you will essentially fight to the death uh and nobody wanted say to Thanos? kill right off just, just end it but no it, it was just a fascinating movie because it was one of those... Because eventually you, you were going to have to kill people. But there was... It seemed like there was throughout the movie, if you went through, and especially when you do the everything else, there was theoretically a possibly a way to where you could get a tie and possibly save about, like, 12 people. Oh, it wasn't, because it eventually, wasn't half. It was, like, one every oh, hour, and it would okay. increase by the no, hour. No, well, at first they... Well, well, that's what I'm saying. They Well, I mean, I said... Because it, well, what I said, if you did, like, and you just killed half right off the bat you might have been able to save more people. But no, because I think it's like you have to kill 10 people by the end of the hour, and then you have to kill like maybe 12 people here, and then it turned into like who had the most kills was the person who left. And I think if you did it like between if you killed like maybe half, I don't have to go back and rewatch the movie. It's been about like a year, I think a year and a half, or two years since I've seen that. Yeah, but if you end up doing it, you could end up with like almost a 12-way tie for 12 people who actually had the most kills or something like that. And so theoretically by the rules, they would all survive. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people were going to die, but in the end, everybody died but one person. Um, also, I didn't like the part with the movie because they had that one lady who randomly killed um, Mary Poppins, but then that just never came to fruition because then she just got shot in the head later in the movie and it meant nothing. Okay, back to what you were saying about this. Okay. Um, but no, um, yes, uh, I do like random horror and certain sets of horror i don't know why what it was like obviously kate just mentioned the belco experiment also like really liked brightburn for some reason but um yeah that was obviously... the weirdest thing for me because i think you actually liked brightburn I-, I loved brightburn but i think you actually liked it more than i did and i was like what that movie is great that movie is amazing um obviously i haven't watched that many horror movies i think that year, this year depending on what you classify horror as we've made fun on this podcast everything's a horror question movie when we go to somewhere. matt's point and i would love to yes i'd like to know kate's opinion is unthinkable horror because it's like a thriller movie no that's a psychological thriller psychological thriller not horror hmm. yes there are genres but genres can gotcha, blend gotcha. just just wondering just because if that's a horror movie i like that one <laughs> well apparently um, coco is gonna give children nightmares so that <laughs> i can see that yeah i mean we did the patreon episode of i, I saw the devil i thought uh, that was great no. too that is a horror yeah, movie. no thank you 
The ending is so great no. in that movie. No. But I also... That, that kid catches yeah, his dad's head. Yeah. Like, oh. That was pretty messed up. I didn't like that. I came out like the tail end of that movie. Like the dad well, catching that. I was like, oh, man. I'm glad I didn't watch this. <laughs> daddy! Daddy! Oh, don't open Oh. That was fun. Um, but anyways, uh, um, obviously I understand why these uh, these are set. I do believe horror stories in general, or even some sort of sense, especially like when it comes to death and thing, is important. That I am worried to like. We have this weird blend now where we've talked about like we do have a lot of like you talk about desensitizing things, which is kind of I can kind of understand, except for the fact that I feel like in saying that we don't actually like explain anything of death. So like obviously we have shows with like movie you know like like violence horror and death and everything but at some point you have to understand at a level that this happens regardless of what you do for kid and for kids to not understand it it's like kind of we talked about like if you have no sense of death or people dying in general and then something happens in your family even just your grandma or something it like devastates kids and it runs into a lot of issues and i know it sounds messed up but like the more you know and understand that the circle of life happens with or without well, and you. It's also like a different type of devastation to, to like lend to that. Like it was one of those things where like when my grandparents died, I was devastated, but I knew what was happening. So I wasn't like, I didn't feel like everybody was just talking around me. Like I actually felt like I could talk to people. Versus, like, people hiding it and then, like, you, like, one of the biggest things to have good mental health is having the vocabulary to talk about the problems that you're going through. And if you're never taught that, like Matt said, like, that devastation is ten times worse. Yeah, which we kind of talked about before of, like, there may never be such thing as the boogeyman. But there are people who pretty much might as well be the boogeyman. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) And if you can't understand or acknowledge or see that of what happens it stuff can very well get out of hand yeah well then you but just no. get john wick to go kill the boogeyman and then everything's fine <laughs> well john wick is the no boogeyman. he's the person you send to yes. go kill the boogeyman no well yeah. yes but then he he's also baba yaga who is the boogeyman she's a it's better when it's better in the first one i know and Bobby Egg is like not as scary as like <laughs> the story that the Russian guy says. Like you Yeah. The story the Russian guy said was I like I, I I see your face, Kate, but like John Wick like it just doesn't connect well. If you go if you go show someone like, oh like this is the person he was referencing and like he's actually naming you're like, What? Like what? Why why is he some scary looking lady? <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I thought some guy killed me with pencils is like <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense to me how many people did he kill with the horse that was the only that was the only good part of that Hellboy movie yeah 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 for sure that was, was a good part, part. I kind of like that part just Bobby yeah, got. she was kind of scary it. but like that's not who I think about when I think about John Wick no it's fine it's fine um, yeah, I don't really have any final thoughts. Like, I've kind of poured myself into this episode, because obviously I'm the resident horror person, and one of the weird ones. Um, but I do highly recommend you go watch the documentary, which is available on VOD, and that you go watch 
scary stories in theaters. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it's all real good and real yeah. scary. I'm a, I'm a selfishly um, shout out Matt and I. Not huge horror people. But we're over an hour. And I think this is a quality episode. And I think we did it. No no guess. Yeah. We, we made it. it. Guys, that's good. <laughs> well, until you cut out pretty much everything I said, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have you ever touched a dead body? You, you see, I've messed with you, dead he's, bodies. He's, the, he's that little kid in standby me. Mean, you know, you want to go touch a dead body? You want to <laughs> go see a dead body? That's Matt. <laughs> <laughs> he's putting his head on his forehead because he knows it's true. <laughs> Um, but yeah, as always, if you enjoy listening to us, if you enjoy the work that we do on the show, uh, please think about supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash butwhythopc. We do special exclusive episodes and you get access to our research notes, with research notes which is really fun, I think, because we put quite a bit of time into them. Um, it also usually has links to our sources. Uh, and as always, get at us on social media at BoyTheOPC, and you can find me at OMithRandier on Twitter. I am posting nothing but spicy nuggets and scary stories right now, so be warned. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, ignoring Kate's tweets, at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. Yeah. Me and the dog are going to go find a dead body. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs>